passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey everybody, it's John Pollock here, along with USA Today and MMA Junkies Mike Bond, and we have just watched the first Golden Boy MMA card. Don't know if this is going to be the start of something or just uh, an event that we will look back to years in hindsight and ask, what did we watch on November the 24th, 2018? Mike, first of all, thank you for hosting tonight. What an event. This was an event I did not want to watch by myself. No, you can't. It's like one of those ones, I mean, I haven't felt maybe like since like an affliction or like I would put it on the rate of like a Yama where it's like a, you know, this we're watching this out of just the absurd or something, but like there, there was actual some name value on here, but yeah, it was one of those ones that's like not, you know, it stands out from your typical UFC or Bellator that we get every single week. So this was a fight obviously carried by the main event and the nostalgia that is brought up with Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz, their first fight since 2006, probably uh, very improbable if you had assumed a year ago that Chuck Liddell would be fighting again at the age of 48. So, you know, nostalgia is one thing in in professional wrestling. It's something in music. It's something very different in fighting. And I think that that is the big takeaway from this show was seeing Chuck Liddell, a much slower Chuck Liddell, and a pretty sad ending if you are a fight fan that got in through The Ultimate Fighter. And Chuck Liddell was the major star of the mid-2000s. Um, tell me kind of your impression of the main event and that finish. Tito Ortiz stops Chuck Liddell, 424 of the first round by knockout. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. We obviously knew this was happening. I think a lot of people thought when this was booked, they're like, oh, you know, is this really going to happen? You know, are both these guys going to be able to make it to the fight? And then to see them actually in there, like I said to you, like, this is kind of surreal to see Chuck Liddell in there. I mean, it's been eight years since we've seen him fight, but he doesn't look like he's aged, you know, hardly a day too much. I mean, at least in terms of, like, his physical features and stuff. We saw him kind of... Seems like he's been walking with a little bit of a limp like all week, but he's always kind of been like that. You know, he's never really walked completely uh, straight, I guess you would say. But... I think it peaked during the entrances. Like people yeah. were, were buzzing in the forum as Tito's coming out to break stuff, Chuck's coming out to like <laughs> insane techno. <laughs> every nightclub you've ever been to, uh, like it was a rave. And there was a ton of nostalgia seeing this happen. But when that fight began, I mean, it was just. It was not the Chuck Liddell, the light heavyweight champion. And I 
I look at Rashad Evans as kind of the most honest of the three broadcasters stating at the end that I do not want to see Chuck Liddell continue to fight. I think that was the prevailing theme. And, you know, it's going to be curious what kind of business this show did on pay-per-view. That's, I, I, I feel is going to ultimately dictate if Chuck Liddell, like Chuck Liddell has an absolute affinity for fighting that I don't think he is going to look at common logic or look at this fight objectively. Um, you know, I've spoken to Chuck Liddell. This guy lives for fighting. And if he fights again, it's not going to shock me. No, I don't think it would either. But he didn't look great in there, man. No. It seemed like a, a little bit at the beginning, he was just obviously figuring out his timing. Eight years of not doing this is a very, very long time. And it's not, I know when he was doing the UFC thing, when he had a job there and, you know, probably thought his future was all, you know, gravy and whatnot. Uh, and he wouldn't be coming back to fighting that he probably wasn't training like super seriously and stuff like that. So he comes back and he, to get back in there, just didn't look that great off the start. He started to seem like finding his timing with those straight punches a little bit, but then it just seemed like at a moment, if Tito could land, it would be over and then obviously he did towards the end of that first round and knocked him out and yeah Chuck Liddell just it's the same issue man like like I said to you like Dana White was right about one thing you can say whatever you want about Dana White but he said the whole time like I wish this wasn't happening there's a reason I told Chuck Liddell to retire eight years ago and I think we saw it in there he just he can't take those punches you know dude like it was when one we, big right hand to the chin. When was, was the out. last time like I don't know if you have if you want to pull it up in front of you when was the last time Tito Ortiz had a standing knockout, you know, like led that when he finished someone with a strike that started from on the feet, like it, I can't even recall one off the top of my head. It has been a very, very long time for him and uh, to him, for him to go out there and he called it, you know, he said that if I go out there and I knock, like I'm going to knock Chuck Liddell out and that's exactly what he did. And Chuck said too, just to go back to kind of your original question, will you look that up? Um, he said, coming into this fight, like this is going to dictate my future if I don't look good in there, if, you know, if Tito beats me, I shouldn't be fighting. That's, I believe was his exact quote, right? This, this is my warm up fight. He was calling this his tune up fight to come back. Like I, he had all the confidence in the world. There's no reason he shouldn't be able to beat Tito Ortiz, given their history, given the style matchup, the success he's had and for him to lose in that fashion. Like, I don't know how it could get much worse. If the fight went, how it was kind of looking for the first three or four minutes before that final punch where it was like, you know, each guy kind of putting out, you know, one strike punches at a time, nothing significant happening. If it went like three rounds like that and then Tito just won a decision, it'd be completely different. But this is worst case outcome for Chuck Liddell. First round knockout loss to Tito Ortiz. Like, I don't know how you really justify things. Yeah, I think that, you know, this, this event was very much uh, built upon nostalgia and trying to take people back to a bygone era. And I think if you tuned in with that idea in mind, you probably left this event with a feeling of sadness, not only seeing Chuck Liddell in that state, a much slower, a 48-year-old man that has dedicated his life to fighting. That is what 48 is going to do to you. But on top of that, like this was a very famous feud in the UFC. And here is Tito Ortiz getting the, the, the big win at the end of it all. Whether people are going to really attach this to the, call it a trilogy or not, um, that's kind of how it ends. And I just see a lot of fans uh, of the UFC during that time period when they were in such a, a growth period through Chuck Liddell, just leaving very disappointed with just how Chuck Liddell looked and seeing him lose to his big rival in Tito Ortiz, knowing that this is not a a prime Chuck Liddell. This was nothing resembling a prime Chuck Liddell. 
Yeah. Well, I think it was just, it's kind of your worst fear realized, you know, our whole thing about coming back to this. I even said, like, I was kind of, I think, convincing myself in the days and hours leading up to this, like, you know, Chuck, maybe he hasn't looked that good in training and, like, in the sparring videos, but, like, and I still do believe this. I think Chuck Liddell is kind of a game-time player. Like, when he goes out there and he's actually in the fight, like, that's when he's at his best. It's not, you know, him hitting pads or doing stuff for cameras and whatnot. That's, you know, he's a real, real fighter, and that's when he's at his best. But, yeah, it's just... Dude, he's 48. He hasn't fought in years. Like, it's just his time has passed. It passed a long time ago. And I know his, I hope and I do feel like his motivations were pure for coming back to this. He said, I I could have got bigger money. I could have fought elsewhere. Could have fought a guy that was, you know, maybe in a lot of minds, a gimme or something like that for more money on like a certain platform. But he wanted to test himself. He wanted to come fight like a guy like Tito that. You know, for better or for worse, is not a bad fighter. I I never questioned so. that this guy is in love with fighting, and you know, it just speaking to this guy that comes through so much that he lives for fighting. That I feel he would the the money to me, it's nice, but he would have done this for a lot less probably than he is going to make uh, out of this uh, pay per view, whatever it does. This is actually Tito Ortiz's. Uh, he had a knockout via a slam against Evan Tanner. And he's had plenty of TKO wins. Mm-hmm. This is his only knockout victory from punches in his career. Yeah. So that's something. That's, that says it all, man. I mean, it's, it sucks. Like, it would have been cool to have, like, a Chuck Liddell 2018 comeback story, but it's just, <laughs> it's not realistic. Well, what does this do for Golden Boy moving forward? Tito Ortiz is, I mean, he kind of gave a wink and a nod to whether he would ever fight again. But where... Like, to me, my biggest complaint of this show is that it didn't really set anything up for a second show. Chuck Liddell loses. I don't think anyone wants to see him fight again. I Chuck Liddell didn't even sound like he was all that open to the idea of fighting again. I mean, he just got knocked out. I'm kind of upset they kind of put him out there, you know, like that with the post-fight stuff. Uh, like, they were, he, got, he got knocked out pretty good, and he kept it together and stuff. It's not like he, It was worse because not yeah, only was it, was it just, Frank Mir pushing him, Tito then gets involved saying, I want you to continue fighting. It's for like, us. How, for us. Uh, how it, in good conscience you can be pushing this man to fight. It's just so irresponsible. Um, but, I mean... It's not as though this was a show filled of, hey, we're going to be introducing titles. We have signed these fighters that you can look forward to in the future. This is our next event that we're going to be holding in 2019. Nothing. This felt like a one-off, and I can't say that there was a whole lot coming out of this that would inspire you to watch a second show unless they can find two other legends that they can build these around with undercards. But that's, that's not a long-term game. That's Bellator show. That's very short term in how long, how many names are out there, even of that stature. You're not going to find a Chuck Liddell that's going to uh, be able to revisit a very fond period of, of, you know, great profitability in MMA's history. Yeah, it, I would love to know the future. You know, obviously, as a upfront disclaimer, we'll, we're doing this in kind of the immediate aftermath of the broadcast. Uh, they're doing post slims, and then the post fight stuff begins. So as of now, we haven't heard. I'd be curious to know if Oscar Delahoy is going to speak to the media post fight and give his impressions, or maybe just speak as to what the future of this promotion could hold. I think it comes down to yeah. the success of the pay per view as well. Yeah. Um, but even that said, I you know they do a. You know, by strong number, I would say ninety to a hundred thousand would be considered strong to me for this show. And if they were able to hit that mark, 
it's done off the backs of Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz that I don't feel you're leaning on. Like the next biggest you know, performance on this was Duran Win. So, it, you know, a big drop off in terms of star power of where this is going forward. If they are going to be able to uh, go out there, there's, there's not a whole lot of stars to be had that a promotion is going to need, especially as a, as a pay-per-view entity. Yeah. I think for them, their best luck is going to be like following this Avenue. Like, you know, there's the Vitor Belforts of the world out there. There's like some guys you can snag, but it's going to be nostalgia fights. It's going to be like the, you know, what Bellator was doing like a few years ago. And I think that's, it was that's diminishing returns. I see, especially on pay-per-view. I it's mean, not it's, sustainable. It's, it's one thing to be tuning in to a free special to watch, Ken Shamrock fight. It's very much different when you're asking, what was tonight that that uh, the pay-per-view was? $50? Uh, 50 or forty nine ninety nine for high definition in Canada. I believe thirty nine ninety nine for standard. I app. think you get that once with, you know, Chuck Liddell's one fight coming out of retirement. And I mean, even if he fights a second time, I, I don't know if, if that's going to necessarily be the, the hook that this one was and who would he fight you know like who's of interest to you or that anyone would really want to see like it's tough the only person i can really think of that's out there that's like you know available and stuff would be like a vitor belfort you know and like chuck Liddell before this fight was saying you know like after this i saw one interview like no i'm gonna get revenge on rampage and like you know he said some stuff like that but all those guys like the legends kind of fight chuck Liddell needed are in bellator so like i don't really think there's many avenues for him right now what did you think about the actual presentation of golden boy tonight from a production standpoint uh the announcers it featured todd grisham frank Mir, and rashad evans uh as a show how did this come off i thought it it was not bad mm-hmm. at all. I thought they did a pretty good job on that front. Uh, the I, graphics, it, it looked like a very professional broadcast. Yes, for the most part. I mean, we saw some things. There was um, some typos on there the were some typos. tail of the tape things. Um, you know, I think maybe some of the camera angles didn't give the most flattering interpretation of how full and how buzzworthy the venue was. And I think that's maybe... It, it was pretty sparse at the beginning of the main card on the pay-per-view. It looked... It looked good by the main event, um, but yeah, it it took it. Uh, this was a one fight show, and this crowd was trickling in. And I mean, the atmosphere never felt dead. I'll say that of those that were there, they seemed engaged. But it was just like this was not a full uh, venue by any stretch. No, and I think you know, for better or worse, regardless of where these guys are, they're still draws. I think you know, Tito Ortiz, especially in Southern yep. California and that area, Inglewood, uh, he has. You know, name value. He has pulled Chuck Liddell coming back is going to pull some sort of crowd. So I think the announced attendance I actually saw was uh, seven thousand eight hundred and thirty-nine. That's for this you know, card. That's so, respectable. Yeah, you know, it, it could be worse. So uh, yeah, I think they pull a decent crowd. But again, it's just how sustainable is this? Is this just a one-off? Uh, it seemed like it was. To me, if I'm going to make a prediction right now, probably a one-off. Like, I don't think Chuck Liddell is going to fight again. I don't think he should be uh, licensed to fight again, first of all. That's that's a bigger question. That's is another. that if you're an Andy Foster and you, you're there cage side watching this happen, it's are, are we really doing a disservice to this individual who will be 49 if you were ever to entertain fighting again uh, of licensing him as well? I, yeah, again, I thought the production largely – it felt like a professional broadcast yeah, to me, the, save for you know some of the hiccups we mentioned. But yeah. uh, the production was never a detriment. It wasn't uh, – you know, it never felt uh, amateurish. 
So I, I thought that part Golden Boy had down, and I think they they took a template for boxing and tried to apply it to MMA and make adjustments here and there. How did you feel about the commentary team of the three in, involved? Yeah, I was just going to mention that uh, Frank Mir, I think, is excellent. He's been excellent for a long time now, going back to when he was calling WEC, and mm-hmm. he just made the hiccup of saying an entry that he wanted to kill Brock Lesnar, literally, and then he got pulled from those duties, and that kind of derailed his broadcast career for a bit. But he's good. You know, he's done, like, the FS1 shows a few times. He's he's great. I think Frank Mir is awesome. He calls ACB and stuff, too, so, like, he, he knows what he's doing. Uh, Rashad Evans, I think he had a few, you know, uh, I guess just... You can First, cut the tension with a knife. That, that was a great, a great line, especially kind of the sarcastic tone he had to towards it at the beginning, but of the main event. But yeah, I think just for him, it's something you need reps. I mean, it's hard to go like this in front of an audience that's highly critical and used to you know, high level broadcasts on UFC and Bellator and stuff to go out there for Rashad. But if you gave him more opportunities, I think he would be a good broadcaster. And, you know, Todd Grisham is, has a lot of experience as well. So I thought Evans, uh, you know, his unfortunate part was being part of a three-man crew that involved Frank Mir, where it can be very tough to, um, you know, kind of elbow your own points in. I think Frank Mir works better in a two-man broadcast because uh, he's such a dominating personality and has a lot of analysis to provide that I, I don't know if you needed both of them I- involved. But I, I, th- I agree with you. I think Rashad, it's, it's something that he could definitely have more repetition at and and continue to do and maybe that's going to be an option for him moving forward yeah i think it will be he's he's got options i think rashad has a, a broadcast career ahead of him he's he's especially good on the desk and this is just a little bit of difference in adjustment so so the rest of the main card we had deron win defeating tom lawler by unanimous decision blazing tebow over efrain escadero by unanimous decision uh, Ricky Palacios, who stopped Wilel Watson at 356 of the first round, and then James Barnes submitting Albert Morales by armbar 409 of the third round. Who and it, proposed after Yes, the yeah, we'll get into that. And the pay-per-view opened with Jay Silva and Oscar Cota, and Jay Silva won by technical submission, 213 of the third round, with a head and arm choke from half guard, which was something to watch, and did not get a tap from Cota but Mike Beltron stopped the fight. I would say that if you were uh, going through the undercard, I think Deron Wynn was the one that got the most focus. He trains at AKA, had Daniel Cormier there in his corner, along with, uh, we, had, we had Violent Bob Ross there. Bob Cook was there as well. Yeah, star stud corner. Yes, him. quite the corner. Yeah. And yeah, I, I had him winning all three rounds against Tom Lawler. He's not a huge light heavyweight. He's very short, but... It's uh, crazy. You know, um, this was only his fifth professional fight. But beating someone that's, you know, a quality light heavyweight in Tom Lawler, who hadn't fought since March of 2016. And I, I guess he's someone that I can see a number of promotions having an eye on. And he went out of his way to say, hey, I'm a free agent. And I, that killed me. Frank Mir, to every winner, was asking, what's next? And mentioning, like, titles. Like, we have no titles in this company. We don't even know if there's going to be another show in this company. So I don't know what you're asking. What's next? Because none of these guys have any future with... This company, we we don't know of what the future is. So I didn't know how these fighters were to answer this question. Other than Deron Wynn saying, hey, I'm a free agent. My phone is... Uh, around if anyone wants to contact me. Yeah, that was the most logical and level-headed yeah, response me. of anyone out there because I, I, I can see him getting scooped up by somebody. Yeah, as he should. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
it's tough with only four fights, and he only turned pro around 20 months ago, so yeah. I think it was, yeah, April, uh, March 2017, so he hasn't been in the game for a very long time, but in that time, he's been impressive. Uh, if you're around UFC events and stuff like that, enough, like, I've been, you know, Daniel Cormier's fights in particular, you always see him there. He is, you know, very embedded in that AKA team, and uh, he seems to have all the attributes of what a lot of those guys have, in particular the wrestlers, uh, right. you know, the Daniel Cormier is the Cain Velasquez as, uh, you know, lesser extent the Habib. But yeah, he, he's a guy with potential at 205, uh, thin weight classes in the UFC and Bellator. I would be shocked, and I think it would be a mistake for any of those promotions to not get him. And he has fought for Bellator. He fought yeah. his previous fight, but it was one of those kind of one-offs that Bellator does to fill up their undercards with you know, up-and-coming guys at the time only three pro fights for him. So I'm sure he didn't get the greatest deal or anything, but it's experience and to do it with Bellator. So he has been with them, but for, if I was one of these organizations, I'd scoop up drawn when he has potential. Yeah. He's one I could see be- just benefiting from having a bit of a platform here mm-hmm. that, you know, being in, you know, second from the top. I uh, saw Starborn. Yeah, he claimed that he was a star that had been born in front of all of your eyes here in Los Angeles. Uh, I also thought James Barnes, he's a 36-year-old bantamweight. He defeated Albert Morales, who uh, fought many times in the in the UFC. He had seven fights there. And I thought James Barnes, I, I thought he had a really dominating performance, finished Albert Morales. And, you know, he he's a bit older for the bantamweight class, but I, I thought he was someone that at least used his time to... Uh, have a good performance. I mean, th- this was not an undercard that was riddled with, you know, all these can't miss prospects. It was, you know, it was a bit fleeting. No, all the guys that you knew were you know, the biggest name is like a Gleason Tebow. You have people, a tall baller, like, oh, I don't mean to be rude and like use the term washout, but more or less UFC washouts, guys who have you know, had their tenures ended there, uh, are the guys who kind of filled up this card for the most part. So it, it was what it was. Uh, it's hard to get overly invested in these fights because, like we said, there's no rankings, there's no future, there's no belts, there's no nothing that we're working towards. It's just kind of, at the end of the day, filler for your broadcast leading up to the main event. Like, would anyone have been upset, not to like switch gears too much, but if it was just... Chuck and Tito, thirty nine ninety nine. Your one fight, an hour and a half pay per view window, or an hour pay per view window, whatever pre fight, post fight stuff you want to do, and just interviews, yeah, and just stuff. Like, I like mean, do a in, debate in and out. But would like, would you not have come over if that was the case? Would we not have still paid the thirty nine or forty nine ninety nine? Like, I don't think anyone would have complained. Maybe except for the live crowd, right? And but still, you could have shown all those fights anyways, not on the broadcast. But this just felt like a slog, kind of building up to it. I don't think we minus drawn when I'll give him his credit, but I don't think we like learned anything or there's any big takeaways that like are kind of changing that MMA scene after this besides those two top fights. Yeah. I thought it was an uh, you know, unfortunate loss for Tom Lawler because I think that over the last couple of days he did get uh, a, a bit of attention going into this. Just he seemed to be one of the personalities that stood out. He had a really fun entrance where he was lip syncing Born to Die by Lana Del Rey. He's just he's a fun personality that I feel uh, a number of promotions, they just lack guys like that. That had he won this fight, I could have seen him again having some interest from a Bellator or other organization and maybe he still will I mean he was someone that to me doing the media interviews this week he was someone that at least made the most of his time and uh, I think by the time that fight happened people were at least a little curious here to see Tom Lawler and this prospect in Jerron Wynn 
Yeah, uh, I mean, maybe you have more insight on this, but like, do you kind of know where Tom Waller stands? I mean, obviously for him, uh, he was released from the UFC at like an untimely occasion for him. He wished it happened a lot sooner. Yeah, you saw the suspension almost coming to an end, but we obviously know he's been dabbling in the pro wrestling a lot. Like, for him to take a fight like this makes sense for him. It was a good spotlight for him. Uh, a good payday relatively speaking to everyone else on the card i think he was the third highest paid fighter yeah. on this entire card which you know twenty five thousand flat uh no win bonus but you know that's a whole different discussion um kind of goes against oscar de la hoya's whole philosophy yeah i mean we can get into that if we want but just sticking on tom waller like i wonder what his future kind of holds like if a bellator came to him that was an exclusive multi-fight deal you can't pro wrestle often you can't do this like where does his allegiances lie at 34 does he want to try to commit and pursue the pro wrestling thing does he just want to you know do regional stuff in the pro wrestling world with a, a fight here and there like i just kind of don't know what he exactly wants to do so i i i definitely see that he still has a, a certain love for fighting it's it's something that he knows i, I think if 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 he was offered two huge contracts for pro wrestling or mma i think he would want to do pro wrestling i mm-hmm. think it's just more suited for him now at this stage of the game uh the difference is that independent wrestling it gets you know a good amount of buzz but it's it's not something you can make a living off of. I mean, Matt Riddle was a perfect example. I mean, he was tearing it up on the independent scene. But it was, you know, these... I don't think think, think people realize that these guys who are traveling all over doing independence, like, unless you're hooking up with a New Japan or a major company that's got big television, you're, you're not making a living doing this. So that's tough. He's, he's 35 now. I don't know if he's someone that's going to be on the WWE's radar, if that's... Uh, direction they would go maybe maybe you know they've signed a lot of guys that a couple years ago you wouldn't have assumed they would so i he does have like a following on the independent scene he's he's got the personality for it he's you know i've i've seen enough of his matches that he's he's very talented for the limited amount of time that he's been doing it i think it just comes down to the financial reality of independent wrestling that uh mma is going to be able to provide him uh some of this, even if it's 25 grand here, or if, you know, a PFL comes his way and knocks on the door, that that's enticing. That's not a bad idea. I would definitely keep the PFL door open. I think he could be a guy that would fit and really well. I, I, I think that would be a really good fit for him, yeah. actually. And I think uh, promotions, they, they want a guy like a Tom Lawler that's going to get them a little bit of attention and is, is a personality that at least he stands out. It's not someone that you're scratching your head trying to remember which guy that was on, you know, a 14 fight card, for instance. He does have a personality and that's, that's something that you, you don't see, you know, widespread. So yeah. that was Golden Boy MMA. I don't know how much more to, uh, to add to the, the show other than I think the pay-per-view number is going to be interesting do you think this cracks a hundred thousand buys i don't i i think this is going to come just short of it i think i I, th- I think honestly 70 to 75 is kind of where i'm targeting this yeah i just don't think in this day and age it's just not realistic with people who illegally stream all those kind of things uh, i had a few friends hitting me up being like oh when's the main event starting and they just yeah. you know were hopping on streams no they were paying their whole night are these friends following UFC pay-per-views? Yeah, like, and they'll okay. get together and watch that. Like, they're people who follow it, like, pretty closely. I'd say, like, you know, somewhere in between your casual and your hardcore fan. But, yeah, it's just, 
in the states so hard. Tito Ortiz, I believe, told I think it was Aaron Bronstetter of TSM, like if this doesn't get two hundred thousand pay per view buys, uh, you know, we shouldn't even be doing this. You know, we well, and Chuck should be in this game. And if they like, do two hundred thousand, dude, if this does two hundred thousand, that is an absolute blockbuster home run. Uh, all the superlatives you could use to describe what a success that would be. It would be unreal for them. Uh, yeah, I just don't think it's going to happen. If it got 100K, it would be a huge success. And I don't think anything in a non-UFC North American pay-per-view has done anything over 100,000? I think Affliction 150? did 100. I think that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of topping chart. it out. If you yeah. want to include that that one WEC pay-per-view. But yes. that, that was very much promoted. promoted which plus, I think so. it did like 180 or something like that. Around, yeah, around 150 that. or so, so. But that was very much, you know, Zufa put their machine behind that one. So Absolutely. Anyway. So, yeah, if it hit 100K, that would be great for them. Uh, I hope Chuck and Tito make a lot of money from this at the end of the day we threw down our money so we'll kind of see what happens on that front i mean will we ever find out i'm sure you know it's kind of hard with like being like a fight tv kind of thing yeah there. it's That's gonna hard be to gauge right yeah and and what the the breakdown is as well between fight tv and just regular cable providers as well i think that's something interesting that you know you look at these pay-per-view companies that are looking for more alternatives out there the ufc just got a sweetheart deal on pay-per-view because they're one of the last uh, companies that is standing that can do business on pay-per-view boxing so much has moved to the streaming model mm-hmm. wwe is kind of they're not out of that game but they've greatly taken their product over to a streaming network and you know we saw with the tiger woods issue on friday i mean it's they clearly they're looking for alternatives they would be great for them if a golden boy could catch fire that they could do some business off of i just don't think this is the show that's going to be doing monster numbers yeah so what I guess, you know, as we wrap it up, what do you say? Uh over under one more Golden Boy MMA show in history. You know what? I'm gonna say over. I think they'll do a follow up to this. Okay. Um but, and and I'm really hedging. So you think there'll be two then? Oh, okay. Over so one over more. under one. Oh, I don't know if I want to go more than one. I feel there will be a second show. Okay. I won't go so far as to say a third show. Okay, is that <laughs> I'm really uh, hedging it, but I, I feel that there was there was something here. Uh, it's going to come down to I, I think ultimately the pay per view number, but it's it's really tough to imagine them doing this forward. If Chuck's not going to be fighting again, and I don't want to be seeing him fighting, if Tito really is retired, maybe maybe Chael somehow finds his way into this. I mean, uh, that's kind of who you've got to be looking at. It's just who has enough of a marquee value is a Vitor enough of a one? Maybe, maybe they are, but I just, I don't think it's a great business plan when that's the only interest you have. And then it's a really steep decline on your undercard to try and be able to sign fighters. So I can see them doing a second, but I, I don't imagine anything being able to replicate what they were able to generate interest wise for this first one, because it was such a bizarre novelty. Yeah, that's just MMA for you. There is a interest in, or I'd say just combat sports. There's always an interest in kind of the first thing, and it fades off. Like PFL, I watched their first four or five shows, didn't really watch the back half of the season. Uh, remember all the hype that inaugural bare knuckle boxing event got? Yeah. Had that Joey Beltran fight against, I can't remember the other guy's name. That was just absolute blood bloodbath. You know, it's kind of these first. Yama efforts, yeah, Yama, dude. There's stuff out there like, and you can define success in your own quantum way. But 
the second efforts always are difficult. So Golden Boy, I mean, if Tito Ortiz fights again, who I assume would be in there, or Chuck Fidelli, I'm going to watch because I obviously follow this closely. But yeah, just what sustainability is there to it, all that kind of stuff. What kind of opponents can they get? It's just, it's a, they have a challenging, interesting road ahead. I'd be curious to know if Oscar Del Hoya speaks to anyone he didn't bother to show up at the weigh-ins. I know he was there, you know, cage side tonight, but yeah, I'd be curious to know what the future holds. But, uh, you know, I'm going to say under. I don't think there's going to be another Golden Boy MMA show. If they do Tito and Ken in 2019, is that going to generate interest where you're recreating no. big feuds from yesteryear? No. I Like I said, I'll watch it. Because they're I mean, both they, going to cut big promos on one another. And... I, I feel that five. I think that that's or like four. that's literally what you're looking at the model that Golden Boy has because that's those are the stars that you have that are out there and available. Yeah, I, I don't know. You could see. I mean, you could see like a Dan Henderson pop up. I think he might be under UFC contract still. But yeah, I mean, there's there's guys out there that I guess if you want to roll this out. Um, I think Tito plays a huge part. I think he's smart enough to kind of know, like, these fights that he's kind of taken towards the back end of his career, not really much damage that he's putting at risk. Like, worst case, yes. I think for him, like, being like, okay, worst case, I get knocked out by Chuck again or whatever. He's willing to take that risk for the opportunity of revenge. But, like, Chael Sonnen wasn't going to hurt him. And, like, any, he might beat him, but he's not going to hurt him. Like, there's, I think he's smart about the kind of fights he's going to take at this point. And, We'll see. I mean, I, I'll never rule out Tito Ortiz fighting again because I think he's retired. If you want to include this one, if he lives up to his pre-fight word of not <laughs> fighting, I think this would be his fourth retirement. So, like, I'm not... I could see Tito showing up in six months or two and a half years. I have no idea. And that's kind of what made this whole thing so compelling. You didn't know what it was going to be coming in. You don't know what's going to be coming out. So, yeah. really, we can sit here and speculate as much as we want, but time will tell. It was just... It was so built around one fight. It's like you didn't come out of this show thinking, wow, I saw a new way to present MMA. They've got something here. That's not the feeling I left with. It's, uh, it felt like it was very self-contained into one night based around curiosity involving two fighters. And their futures are very much in doubt and not something you can build a company around. So uh, I'm, I'm very hesitant to uh, look at the future of Golden Boy MMA beyond this night. But we will find out. Uh, you can follow him at... Mike Bond, MMA, all of his great work up at MMAJunkie.com. Lots of great coverage, and UFC is coming to town soon, Mike, so you don't have to get on a plane to cover the next pay-per-view. No, but crazily enough, before that even happens, it's only two weeks away. We have, I think, two UFC shows, two Bellator shows, so that seems like a lifetime away at this point, but it should be fun. All right, uh, that's going to wrap it up. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. We wanted to do this quick, impromptu post-show chatting about Golden Boy MMA and that's it. You can check out all of our stuff, postwrestling.com. Wei Ting and I will be back Monday night with Rewind to Raw.